Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. We are back. I know it's been a long summer break, but I am very excited to be resuming episodes again. And tonight, uh, my special guest is Patrick O'Donnell, returning guest. Welcome back to the show, Patrick. Uh, happy to have you back. Nathan, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. It was about a year ago, June of last year, I yeah. was on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been fun. I mean, we I know we talked about having you back because we originally had you on the show for Cops and Writers, uh, your first edition you know, of the um, Academy to the Street, which was fun, getting the kind of the background of um, what it's like to be a, a police officer. Tell me what what's new about your, your new book. Give us the title and, and a little blurb about what you got going on now. Well, uh the second book is still is, you know, Cops and Writers, and it's Crime Scenes and Investigations. This goes deeper into the the mechanics and how crimes are actually solved. So the first book was, you know, how do you start out as a cop? You know, what kind of training, what kind of experience, what should you expect? What's what is it what's it like to be, you know, like a police officer on the street? Yeah. And, you know, and I go through the training and some of the different um Units within patrol, like K nine and uh, SWAT, yeah, th- those types of those types of things. And then with this, this is more like interview and interrogation, um, detective bureau. Okay, uh, a little bit of the CSI stuff. I'm not an expert, so that may be a book that will be in the future, because like, and I'll have to collaborate with somebody because, like I said, yeah. I'm not an expert with that. What, um, I'm curious, like, where you started with this. Like, so to back up a little bit before you started doing this, obviously you had a background in a little bit of writing yourself. Were you just kind of, like, pulling your hair out watching other people do this badly or reading other scenes that were just so bad <laughs> that you had to say, gosh, someone needs to fix this? What was the initial inspiration for this series? Well, watching a kind of TV drama with my wife, you know, it gets to the point where she's like, just get out of the room or, you know, we'll watch something else. We'll, we'll watch a comedy. How's that? Or we'll watch yeah. a drama or whatever. And because they're getting it so bad. They're, it's it's so ridiculous. You know, we just ugh, it, it just gets under my skin. You know, what they're portraying, you know, would most likely get the officer or detective. They would get arrested and they would go to prison for half of the, well, more than half of the stuff that they do on TV. You know, it's like, yeah. no, or they wind up hurting themselves or hurting somebody else. You know, that little thing yeah. called the Constitution has no value whatsoever on TV. You know, it's just, yeah. it's crazy. It's like needing a warrant or not, or things that the people do just, you know, right. willy nilly. Yeah. Who's even at oh, the yeah. the crime? I know you've mentioned before that. Sometimes they, they show people at, at scenes of the crime that wouldn't even be there. Yes. You know, it's the police officers that say you have a shooting. You know, that's that's a popular one. You know, yeah. it's like a homicide or a shooting. And it usually comes over as a shots fired or a shooting. Dispatchers puts it out over the air and they'll give it to a squad. And a squad goes to it. Usually it's going to be one two man car. That's like two officers. And if there's in if that isn't available, then they'll send two one-person squads, okay. and you don't send everybody right away because a lot of the time it isn't a shooting, or somebody was shot in the foot with a BB gun, hmm. or you know they're shot with a slingshot, or they weren't shot at all. You know yeah. I think somebody was you know that kind of thing. So you can't 
dedicate all these resources running to the scene of something that hasn't been identified yet. And gotcha. I was lucky because I lived in a big city. I worked in a big city. I lived there too, where we had a lot of fire department houses in our, in a small geographical area. So when a shooting came over, they would respond, but you know, they'd stage about like a block away or two blocks away and we would clear the scene and make sure it's safe before they would go in. You know, they're not wearing vests. They don't have guns. They can't protect themselves. Mm, so we're the yeah. ones who have to protect the firefighters or, yeah. or the med unit that comes in. Yeah. So again, you know, once it's declared that, yeah, I've got a 56 year old male with two, two gunshot wounds to the chest. He's P and B, which would mean pulseless non-breathing. You know, get me a med unit now. And I need more officers. Then I was a sergeant for the last 17 years on the job. I was required to go to that. So yeah. I would run the scene. You know, I would get there. I'd set up a perimeter. That's with people putting up the yellow tape. Yeah. And at the same time, if possible, you know, they'd be rendering aid to the victim. But the first... First and foremost, the scene has to be safe before you can do anything. And, you know, more than one time I've been to a scene where they're still shooting, you know, or they're running down the block or whatever. You know, the yeah. house isn't cleared. You know, the bad guy ran into the house. You know, the body's on the front stoop. Bad guy ran into the house. You're not going to start working on this victim until you get the guy that's inside the house. Right. You know, the last thing you want is your back turned while you're working on dude. You know, now there's going to be three more victims. Right. So that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And, that, and it's interesting, like you know, the logistics of it all. And uh, of course, a lot of that probably won't work itself. What well, may, but probably won't work itself into most fiction. I know a lot of times in fiction, we're arriving to the scene after the fact or the you know, body's already you know there. And, and maybe the amateur sleuth or like the detective, the, the homicide detective or whoever your hero is, um, you know, shows up or gets involved. Um, I'm curious if you can explain for us the role of the detective specifically um, in the police department, how they vary from the other officers on scene. Uh, maybe just give us a little bit of background of like maybe even how you end sure. up as a detective as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, depending on the department, I'll say that a lot mm -hmm. during our conversation because it does depend a lot on the department. Where I worked, we had 1,800 members total. That's, you know, police officers, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, detectives, you know, whatever. And there's probably about 150 detectives out of that. But we were lucky enough where we had, like, say, a homicide bureau that was, you know, 24-7, 365 days a year. Where if you're in a smaller department, you might have a total of three or four detectives total. Okay. You know, and... You know, two of those work during the day, and then one might work like a modified power shift, which would be like 11 in the morning till 7 at night, and you might have one that works 4 in the evening till midnight. Mm -hmm. So if something big kicks off, like say at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're waking people up and they're going to have to go respond. Mm -hmm. Whereas where I was, if you had a, you know, a, a homicide or something along those natures, I, all I had to do was pick up the phone. And it's like, okay. You know, but that's a misconception, too, where, you know, like TV and movies, all of a sudden, you know, you have this homicide and there's an army of detectives running down the block, you know, coming to the scene before the cops even get there. And that's mm. almost never. But to circle back to what you were asking, you know, there's two different types of detectives, and especially in big cities, 
One we used to call suit and tie detectives. Okay. Those are the detectives that literally wear a suit and tie. And the reason why they do that is a, a uniform is a barrier. A lot of people put up their dukes and they put, you know, their defenses come up mm-hmm. when they see somebody in a uniform. But yeah. you have somebody that's wearing plain clothes. Oh, he's not so bad. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of relax a little bit and put their guard down a little bit. And they're a lot easier to talk to. So, you know, you have that. And those are your homicide detectives, robbery, sensitive crimes, financial crimes. And then you're going to have your detectives that are in plain clothes. And a lot of times those are like on anti-gang units, vice, where they kind of try to blend in with the environment. So they're not even just business you know, casual. That, they're that like, they're working. these are the ones that might be wearing the leather jackets and like might be. Yep, they're the ones in jeans and jeans and T-shirt, you know, that okay. type of thing. Um, so it's two different worlds. And there are some detectives that they go like in deep, deep. You know, you would never know by looking at them that they were a detective or a police like officer. The, like you the know, departed? Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. When he's like deep yes. cover. You know, yeah. They look like they should be a member of ZZ Top. Yeah, they got beards down to their stomachs. It's like an episode of Duck Dynasty or something. You know, you're like, wow. And sometimes I didn't recognize guys that I went through the academy with. They're like, hey, Pat, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's you. Yeah, okay, gotcha. But that's a small number. Mm-hmm. And those are the guys, those are the detectives that are going to be working really long, complicated cases. Most of them are drug cases. And, you know, you're talking, geez, you know, it could be a year. It could be two years on one case. You know, like, say, there's a gigantic grove farm somewhere, and you're going to be coordinating with ATF. You're going to be coordinating with maybe the FBI if they don't do a lot of drug stuff. But if there's anything that's going across, you know, state lines, you know, more organized type crime, Mm -hmm. you know, those detectives will be involved, and also police officers. And a lot of these units, police officers are there to augment the detectives, and they do almost the same job. They just get paid yeah. less in yeah. some departments. Some some do, some don't. It all depends. You know, some departments, becoming a detective isn't even a promotion. It's a lateral transfer. Interesting. So, and, I, and I think that, that, I know you mentioned sometimes the buddy cop in this book. I think you talk a little bit about um, kind of like the different you know, types of fiction that we, that show up here where we get detectives. Like, I think that's one of the classic ones where you have the, the detective who's maybe really needs the job, you know, is kind of financially dependent on this and really can't afford to, you know, turn in their badge and gun in the dramatic moment, (laughs) you know, on the desk when the, you know, the, the hard ass, you know, uh, supervisors telling them, you know, they've got to get their act together. Um, like, is that, like, do you feel like the the detectives are? I mean, they're they're pretty much average Joe working guys, right? In terms of like, you know, working class dudes. And that do, do you feel that that's like is that accurate? Is there any kind of stratification? Amid, well, yeah, you know, they like the way have... you feel about it in in the police department of like, okay, if you're a detective, you're like, is there a, a hierarchy based on pay? Well, yeah. Well, where I worked, you know, you start out as a police officer. And then you could either go the detective bureau route or patrol. Okay. I went patrol, and you could promote to sergeant. Okay. And then from sergeant, you could become a lieutenant. From lieutenant, you can become a captain, you know, et cetera. If you became a detective, 
that was a promotion, but it wasn't as high as a sergeant. A lot of departments have detective sergeants. Okay. You know, you become, you're a police officer, then you can promote to a detective. Mm-hmm. And there might be a detective sergeant, and then there's going to be a detective lieutenant, then a captain that's in charge of, like, say, the Homicide Bureau. You know, these are bigger cities. Mm-hmm. You know, the sergeant is going to perhaps have a small team of detectives that he or she is in charge of. Can you give us and, the broad... Know, they oversee their cases. I'm sorry, I, meant, I didn't mean to interrupt, but could you give us, like, the broad strokes oh. of what falls under a detective's purview? Like, I'm a detective, maybe I'm a homicide detective. Like, what am I allowed to deal with? What am I not allowed to deal with as a character in a, in a book, well, for example? They're, they're allowed and not allowed to do whatever that is allowed by the law and the rules and procedures of whatever department they work for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty much the same as a police officer. You know, when I first started, police officers didn't do a ton of investigating. You know, it was mostly detectives. And when I left, you know, like nine months ago, Police officers, every year, they're doing more and more and more and more. That's budgetary constraints. You know, I, there was like, I was ahead of an anti-gang unit for a while at night, and my guys were perfectly capable of getting search warrants. When I was a cop, you know, like 20 years ago, we wouldn't even dream of doing that. But now it's commonplace. You know, whereas before, it's like, oh, only a detective can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like, no, we can do that too. But there's always going to be specialties. You know, they're, they go through a lot of training and they have experience. Usually when you become a detective, they stick you in, say, property crimes where you're investigating burglaries. You know, it's not super high speed, but they want to see how good of an investigator you are. And you're kind of getting tested. And if you prove yourself, more or less... Then you can move on to, like, say, going to the Homicide Bureau or robbery or sensitive crimes where you're investigating sexual assaults, child abuses, elder abuses, those types of things. And for those specialties, you need a lot of advanced training. You know, they go to a lot of schools. They do a lot of training. They do a lot more training when it comes to interviews and interrogation of people, you know, suspects and just witnesses, that type of thing. Um... They also make more money because they work a lot more overtime, mm. usually. If you're a homicide detective, you know, if you have a fresh homicide and you're working, say, midnight to 8 in the morning, you don't punch out at 8 if you have, like, a really good lead. You keep going. And detectives usually wind up in court quite a bit more than a police officer would. Mm. So you're getting paid time and a half for that. Mm. They, they, work, they work a lot, and these guys... Yeah, I've known detectives that take their work home with them. You know, they're going to, it's like, yeah, I really got to look at this file or whatever. Not all of them are like that, but yeah. they're very dedicated. And, you know, if if they're on, if they're trying to catch somebody and they're kind of on their feet, you know, they're on their heels, they really want to do a good job. And, and they do. And they want to get their man, you know, get the bad guy. So yeah. sometimes they even do it on their own time. Interesting. It sounds like a very challenging lifestyle in terms of having a family, marriage, that sort of thing. Do you do you see that being a very a difficult lifestyle to have a, a work-life balance? Very much so. You know, I went the sergeant route. I promoted a sergeant because I hated going to court, especially mm-hmm. when I was late shift. You know, you work midnight to 8, then you had court at 8.30 in the morning. 
and you know, I'm in Wisconsin, you're wearing all your winter gear and hope if you didn't have time, you didn't have time and you're running to court and you're sitting there literally for hours waiting yeah. for the judge to call your case or clear their calendar. And most of the time you never testified. So you're just sitting there and I'm like, Oh hell no. You yeah. know, if I can get away from this, I'm going to, but there's guys that absolutely loved it because it was more or less just it's overtime. Yeah. It's you know, money getting paid time and a half but, to sit there. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And you know, the thing about it is I, I had friends that were homicide detectives and, Boy, they just ate, breathed, and lived it. They loved it. And they were really good at what they did. But, like you said, it does take a toll on your family. Yeah. You know, when you're working 16-hour days, you know, for quite a bit, and it's, it's nice to have the money. I remember I was talking to one homicide detective. He left homicide voluntarily, which doesn't happen often. But he left, and he went to, like, violent crimes, like street robberies or substantial batteries, whatever. Because it was less. And he says, man, I had more money than I knew what to do with, but I didn't enjoy it. He says, I had a great boat. Mm -hmm. I had a really cool car, but my family never saw me. And the divorce rate for cops is super high. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I remember when I was in the academy, you know, the, <laughs> one of the instructors is like, well, congratulations, guys. You know, you're now all police officers. He said, you know, across the country, the divorce rate's about 50-50. You got a 50-50 chance of making it. Now you're all cops. That's going to get cut down to about 75 to 80 percent that yeah. you're going to get divorced. And he says, God forbid you marry another cop. He <laughs> says, now now you're into 90 percent. Oh, wow. I'm like, holy. So yeah. I fell within the, I got, I want to get divorced. I can't blame the job entirely, but it sure didn't help. You know, yeah. you're working shift work. You know, I worked midnight to eight for 13 years and then. I worked seven at night till three in the morning for four years after that. And, you know, I yeah. could have worked four, four in the evening till midnight, but I never would have seen my kids. I wanted right. to go to hockey games. I wanted to go to basketball games. You know, I right. wanted to be yeah. there. Yeah. But I was, I was there, but I was a zombie. It felt like a perpetual hangover. You're just, all you want to do is just go to bed and go to sleep. Yeah. It's hard to have a relationship if you're just like ships passing in the night, you know, and hard labor awake at the same hours. That's, that's, that's really rough. Right. And it seems like obviously it's a, it's a ladder to climb, so you don't necessarily get to where you want to be as a young person while you're still single. You still have to kind of really commit to it for a while, and it's yes. a huge sacrifice. And I think that's one of those things that a lot of people well, don't understand about the sacrifice that you know our, our law enforcement officers give is not just putting themselves on the line; it's putting their whole lives on the line. In, in some cases, right? It's you know their families go through it too. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of yeah. people don't see. You know yeah. they're. My kids' friends looked at them a little differently because, you know, dad's a cop. Mm. You know, they're always going to ask, you know, they're always going to, hey, did he shoot somebody today? You know, whatever, you know, it is just yeah. like, you know, yeah, they'd see the news or whatever. And, you know, my phone would literally be ringing. Are you okay? And I'm like, because I'd be on the news. I'm like, mm. yeah, it's just another day at the office. You know, well, you were behind. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, there's a natural progression because, a lot of police officers get hired and start the job when they're in their, say, mid-20s, maybe even early 20s. And it's all fun and games until you're about maybe your late 20s to 30, then you get married. Mm -hmm. then, then you start having kids. Now all of a sudden, you know, you're getting pulled in a lot different directions where before it was, you know, just you having fun at work. Man, I, you can't get enough overtime. This is the best job ever. 
you know, I'm doing stuff that people make books about in TV shows and movies. You know, mm-hmm. I'm living it, especially if you're in a big city. I mean, every night is something crazy. And it it really, it becomes addicting. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. And that's an interesting kind of character, character trait for writers to maybe play off of and say, okay, well, maybe maybe my detective that I'm writing is addicted to the job. Maybe um, this is part of their internal flaw or their internal need is that they think that they don't need a life outside of the job. And maybe that's what's right. eating them up, things like that. Um, usually, you know, of course, we as writers, we talk about a character having some sort of internal lie that they tell themselves, you know, that they're needing to overcome through the course of a story. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, something that, we, that writers can play with, of course. Um, but I'd love to talk to you a little bit about actual investigations, because part of this book is about investigations. And, of course, we love hearing about clues and, you know, figuring things out on at the scene of the crime. What are some things we're looking for? Obviously, uh, most of us are familiar with, you know, fingerprinting and um Maybe a little bit, somewhat, with you know fibers, things like that. What are some other some of the other things that maybe we don't know about as the the average citizen when it comes to crime scene investigation? Any any well, tips you can give us there? Any kind of homicide. Well, if we're going to talk homicide. Any kind of homicide. It has to make sense. Who wants to kill Nathan? You know, you're a nice guy. Come on, you live by the beach. You're a nice guy. I mean, come on, you help out writers. Who in the heck would want to do that? Gotta find you know, so yes, that's huge. And a lot of times, like again, circling back to a big city, people are engaged in illegal activities when they're getting killed. They're buying drugs. They're they're buying a prostitute. They're they're doing whatever. So it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out what happened. You know, a lot of times they know who killed them. You know, it's not stranger danger especially if it's some type of domestic violence situation or even friends. And I, I've had, uh, <laughs> we had one guy kill somebody over the last beer. Really? You know, they were all super, oh yeah, I mean. Oh my gosh. The value of life in, when you're working in a big city, it, it just literally blows your mind to think that people have such little value of a human life. It's it's really that can get really disheartening really yeah. fast. Yeah. So as far as you roll up on a scene and in order for it to be a homicide, you have to have a dead body. And for a homicide, another human being has to kill this person. Now, what was their motive? Could this have been an accident? I've had that. You know, they're they're stupid, you know, like 20 something year olds playing with a gun. They're all drunk. You know, who thinks that's a great idea to pull out the loaded revolver and start spinning the cylinder? And, you know, and I've literally had homicides like that. Mm. So it wasn't this person's intention per se, but it was recklessness because they were intoxicated and they're pointing a gun and pulling the trigger. Well, that's enough of that. Or, you know, I've had homicides where, like I said before, the victim is involved in some type of illegal activity, but I've also had innocent victims where, they're the victim of a crime, like, say, a robbery. For some reason, these, like, dollar stores, they're getting robbed all the time. Mm-hmm. I think it's because they have a lot of cash on hand. Mm-hmm. And the clerk, I was the first one there, the clerk had a hole in his head. And I looked at the video later, and this guy is robbing him. He's got a gun pointed at his head. 
and he had his finger on the trigger. It was a revolver, and he had the hammer back all the way. And obviously, mm-hmm. this person didn't know that much about guns. His hand was shaking like crazy. You know, he was, I think he was more nervous he than was. the victim. Yeah. yeah. And when the gun went off, he had that look of, like, complete shock. Like, oh, mm. I didn't yeah. mean to do that. You know, the, yeah. boom, he's off like a bullet. But, you know, he's robbing this place, and he winds up killing this person. Yeah. So by accident. Yeah. Interesting. Right. But, you know, you're still in the middle of committing, you know, a crime. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing. Again, how does this make sense? So you look at the physical evidence. First, you look at the scene. It's like, okay, does all this make sense? Was the body moved maybe? Is there smudge marks in the blood? The blood could tell you a lot. The body can tell you a lot. You know, what are some it, things specifically? You, well, what you see in movies and TV is they put the yellow blanket over somebody right away. Right. We never, ever do that. You know, what happens is when the medical examiner, they have their own investigators that will come. They'll put brown bags on, over the people's hands. And that's to see, you know, were they fighting with somebody? Does it make sense? You know, it, again, does it make sense? Were they what, fighting with what, this what person? What are the brown bags for? Um, that's to preserve any evidence. If there's, like, mm-hmm. skin or tissue underneath the fingernails. Okay. I, I had a Busting homicide one time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, defensive wounds. Well, you know, they're going at it, and they lost. Mm-hmm. I had a homicide one time. It came over as a suicide. When I got there, this guy's on the kitchen floor with a gigantic knife sticking out of his chest. And, you know, the cops are there, and they're like, Sarge, this guy stabbed himself. And I said, usually not in the chest, but yeah, it could happen. And his wife is there. And I have a translator because everyone was a Spanish speaker, and my translator was a... Um, was a police officer and he's like yeah sarge he said you know his wife came out of the bedroom and she found he found her like that and i'm like francisco let's go over here so i'm like i said did you take a good look at her he says what do you mean he says she's got a black eye Hmm. two of her fingernails are broken and i was like what does that tell you yeah I, i said it tells me they had a fight she's probably he was probably kicking her butt on a regular basis she had enough and she killed him Mm-hmm. So what happened was detectives got there and said, oh, yeah, this is a homicide for sure. So they didn't arrest her, which they could have. She voluntarily went downtown for questioning. They questioned her for five hours, and she wouldn't give it up. And they're like, so, okay. They're driving her back to the apartment, and as the as the squad pulled up in front of the house, she just blurts out, I did it. I did it. Interesting. And it's like, Wow. After all of that, the DA didn't issue charges because it was self-defense. Right. There's a long history. You know, is she had enough, and that's what it boiled down to. So, you know, like I said, you know, it's some, you look at the physical evidence. You look at the body. You know, is there other wounds on the body? You know, again, is there smudge marks on the floor where maybe somebody dragged the body? Mm-hmm. The last homicide I went to before I retired it was a uh, produce where little produce warehouse and the owner hired a um, undocumented immigrant and they had a difference of opinions on a couple of things and he's like i'm just going to have to let you go business isn't too good and witnesses saw him running out the front door they go inside because they heard a commotion he had been stabbed i don't know how many times but you could see, you know, once you start looking around, it's like, okay, there's blood on the walls. 
there's like kind of like a, and that's spatter, not splatter. That's a very common mistake that writers make. So what's the even difference? on Dexter? What's the difference uh, between splatter and spatter? Spatter is the technical term for blood spatter. When you're okay. looking at droplets or smudges, you know, like a droplet could be, you know, I cut my finger doing the dishes tonight. Right, and I've been dripping you know, it around the house or something. Yeah. Right, and that could be from a defensive wound, and that actually happened at this homicide. They were going, they're struggling over the knife. So you look at the body of the deceased, and if there's cuts by the fingers, mm-hmm. he was literally grabbing the knife, and this guy had those cuts on his fingers where he was like trying not to get stabbed. Right. Yeah. You know, he lost the fight, and the uh, the garbage can that was in there was shoved with all these towels. The the guy who killed him tried to clean up the crime scene before he ran out the door. And he didn't he just did a horrible job. So that's even more smudging. He moved the body so you're seeing like this trail yeah of you know just a blood smudge and then where he's trying to clean it up. But then if you're looking with a flashlight and you're looking off to the sides, you can see where there's spatter like across and like a crossing thing. So they're tussling. So this okay. guy is bleeding, yeah. and then it's it's being thrown kind of like you say if you had a a glass of water and you just kind of like right. you know spew it. It's the same thing with blood sometimes. Is that a specialist that comes in and analyzes that, or is that or is that something that the average detective can take a look at and take pictures of and make analysis of? It depends on the scene and, and the department. Mm, you know, if yeah. you go back to good old Dexter, yeah, you know, <laughs> who was the serial killer? Who was the serologist? Yeah. You know, he was the blood spatter analyst. Yeah. Yeah. Some departments might have that, or they'll, if there's a very complicated scene that they can't literally figure out, they'll, they'll subcontract somebody like that. That's an expert. You know, and depending on the department, you might have like their CSI people come and they might be trained in that. Off, again, homicide detectives, they go to all kinds of different schools in some of that. Even in detective school, you know, when you first become a detective, you go to detective school, and that's part of it. Yeah. You know, you get training in, um, you know, crime scenes, you know, what to be looking for, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to get your opinion on some maybe practical tips specifically for writers, because obviously this sure. is cops and writers' books. So maybe just when it comes to crime scenes and investigations more specifically, um, what are we doing wrong? What are the things that you would love to see every writer from here on out avoid doing? And maybe what are, on the opposite side of that, what are, what are a couple things that maybe we could do to really add some authenticity to the scene? Well, like I said before, usually when a crime is committed, you have a police officer and a sergeant will come first, not the detective. Okay. So right off the bat with your crime scene, you know, a lot of times you'll also see where in, on TV the detective will be barking orders to a sergeant or even a lieutenant, somebody that outranks them. And it's like, no, that <laughs> they don't know. Or they're barking all this, you know, they're barking at the uh, cops that are on the scene. Now, I've had detectives when I was a new police officer, you know, hey, could you mind doing a canvas and, you know, start getting all well, the license plates of the cars down on this block? Sure. If you ask me nicely and you're a gentleman about it, of course yeah. I will. You know, but if you're not going to be that way, find somebody else. I don't care. Right. You know, 
Um, another huge mistake that I see is, okay, the detective's wife gets killed or kid or whatever. Now it's personal. Yeah, right. That detective would have nothing to do with that investigation. On the down low, whoever's doing the investigation would probably give them information from time to time, but they don't want them screwing it up. Mm-hmm. The worst thing, the last thing you want is this rogue detective that's going after, you know, yeah, you killed my wife, now I'm coming after you. you right. know, you're so gonna everything's going to get thrown out in court, right? Absolutely it will. It will be gone in half of a second. You know, so you, you want to make sure you put a good case on somebody like that. If it, And then again, if a very common trope that you see in movies and books is a police officer is involved in a shooting. They shoot and kill somebody. And then they're back on the street the same evening. Or the next day they're back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's six months to a year before they see the street, no matter what the circumstances are. It's yeah. a very long, drawn-out you know, procedure. And nothing happens quickly with that. So that's We're gonna one more some, thing. Probably going to need some some creative license with that one because that's something where like you can't really take your hero out of the book for six months. Um, right. Very well, easily. we talked about this last time back in June. I yeah. said, well, you you write time travel. This is yeah. your perfect opportunity to use yeah. that. You know. But I, and I said back then too. I said, give your uh, main character a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Their wife leaves them, or their husband leaves them. You know, mm-hmm. they're having trouble with their kids. They start getting health problems. They're gaining weight. They start drinking too much. You know, there's a multitude of stuff you could do to your person. You know, in the meantime. That's yeah. true. So yeah, yeah, we talked about that. It, also. Um, I think that's interesting. And one of the things that I did actually, since we talked last, I did sort of branch into a crime genre, which is fun. I am writing a. I just about to put out next week. I think a um, time travel detective mystery. But he's uh, outstanding. Yeah, so it's fun, and I, of course, I did make take advantage. We should tell everyone who doesn't already know about it about Cops and Writers, the Facebook group, because what an amazing resource you have created there, where authors like me can come in there and post our idiotic questions of like, I have known nothing about this. Can someone please inform me? You know, what would this be like? And you guys are so helpful in there because it's not just you, but there's other police officers as well in the group. Who are able to like chime in, and um, that's such a such a great resource that you've created. Well, thank you. You know, and I'm very very lucky because I have you know people in law enforcement that are specialists. You know, I've got police officers in Ireland, the UK, you know, different parts of the country. So you know, if you're writing your story, you know, over the pond, they can help you out. Mm-hmm. Then, like I said before, I'm not a CSI expert. But I do have literally CSI experts that are in the group. I also mm-hmm. have defense attorneys, prosecutors, you know, medical personnel. I'm mm-hmm. I'm super lucky that these people are in my group, and I, I couldn't be happier. But yeah, it started with nothing, yeah. and I've got yeah. about 2,700 people in there now. Yeah, and it's it's such a great atmosphere too. I think you do a really good job of running it, keeping it very friendly, very you know welcoming. Um, I've I've always had a great experience anytime I posted something in that group. Well, I'm not going to allow, you know, and I'm very, very happy you look at it that way 
because it could turn ugly really quick. And some sometimes people are just stupid when right. when it comes to these types of things. And it's like we will not discuss politics. We will not you know discuss certain things. Mm-hmm. And you know it's like I just this is a place where feel free to ask any question. You know I'm not going to think it's idiotic. I'm not going to think it's stupid. And if anybody says that it is, they're gone. I'll just give them the boot. Yeah. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. You know, yeah. is this is a place for people just to feel it's like okay, I can ask whatever question. There's certain ones that I can't answer, and no cop is going to because mm-hmm. you know there's some officer safety concerns that you know we right, we yeah. can't you know we can't divulge everything, but we'll do our best for you. Because it is so nice as a writer, as someone who doesn't have a law enforcement background, uh, who's just consuming popular culture and things like that, and, and uh, obviously books like yours are an amazing resource. But for us to be able to, to stroll into a group like that and say, okay, here's a bunch of law enforcement professionals and other writers, um, it's a nice balance in there to feel to feel welcome and to feel comfortable and say, okay, I'm among my people because even, you know, there's crossover. Like you, you're a police officer, but you're also a writer. So, um, and you write your own fiction and, and such. So it's a nice welcoming space because it's so much... There is a little bit of uh, tension when you're Googling these things. How do I get away with this murder? You know, on right. you know, who, which FBI, you know, is going to be, is going to be knocking on be, your door. Knocking That's on my right. door yep. And like the things that you have to Google sometimes as a writer um, can make people uncomfortable. You know, and some of the rabbit holes you have to go down to find the information that you're looking for can be very deep rabbit holes and maybe not that accurate. So it's yeah, nice to go. Right. Nice to go to a source where you have a, a sense of a reliable, you know, you're getting reliable information, and you, you're always well, very good at putting that. a caveat there of like, okay, this is my department only, or this was. Yeah, you're, everyone's right. very clear about we're not giving you, you know, perfect advice. We're giving you enough advice that you can take it and run with it. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and I say yeah. So I think you should be commended for for what you've done there in, in that group. And um, I just think anyone who isn't already a, a member, if just because it's so useful for every genre. Like, I don't care what genre you're writing. At some point, you're probably going write to a, write a scene that involves the police because we, we are all about tension. We're all about creating problems. Like, every story we write is there's some sort of problem. And at any point, there's probably going to be some sort of scene where the, the police get involved. You're involved in everything. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is true. Sometimes more than others, but yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, in in the I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say uh, Marilyn asks, "What is that group?" And it is. Uh, you want to tell us the the correct name for it? Just just cops and writers. If cops you go into your Facebook search bar and just type in cops and writers, it'll take you right to it. Perfect. Yeah. It'll take you right to it. Oh, someone posted but, a link. There we go. All right. Oh, someone, outstanding. Thank you. My, Rob, thank you for doing my job for me. Is that Rob Peter? Yep. Cheers. Cheers to Rob. Oh, Rob, you're a good man. Thank you, <laughs> Rob. Yes, I'm drinking Corona, and I have a Hawaiian shirt on today in Nathan's honor. Yeah, I'm living vicariously through him. I'm in Wisconsin. He's on the beach, so yeah, yeah, he wins. I'm living vicariously through you. Like I just can't wait for sweater weather. Are you kidding? Like We've had oh. a couple brief moments of like hints of cool weather. We're, like, we're just envious <laughs> of everyone wearing their sweatshirts up north and... Well, you know, it's this week, this week it has warmed up into the 60s, and I'm in a shorts, shorts and a t-shirt walking the dog today. Yeah. And I'm on my motorcycle wearing you know, a sweatshirt and jeans. 
were you know probably down there in the 60s you guys would be wearing parkas (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny once i was involved in a um like a youth group event where we took a bunch of florida teens up to to washington in january um washington (laughs) dc and it was so funny watching all these kids wearing like every bit of winter clothes they owned all like mismatched and awkward looking because they're like i don't know what a winter coat is so they're just like layering things on that's Um, funny finding scarves that they had when they were five you know we don't buy winter clothes down here it's not a thing (laughs) so yeah um but one other thing i wanted to touch on before we go i know we've gone past our our usual half hour of course like i always do when i'm having a good time but um the other day you posted a picture of you in the book and i thought holy cow this guy looks jacked like how how are you you're obviously taking really good care of yourself as a writer. A lot of us writers sit around a lot and we get in bad shape. But you seem like you've got a really good fitness routine going on. Can you talk a little bit about like what your mindset when it comes to to writing and fitness? I started I was a I've been a gym rat since I was in my 20s. When I was in high school, I was overweight, clumsy, you know, just not an athlete at all. And then I went to college and I joined their kickboxing club. Hmm. And I got into shape really, I lost like 20 pounds in one summer and it was full contact. Now I broke a lot of bones. You know, I broke my nose a bunch of times, ribs, fingers, wrists, toes, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I trained like a boxer. I did a lot of road work. I did a lot of bag work. So I had that in my head and I lifted weights. Not a lot back then. Then as I got older, I I really enjoyed physical fitness and I enjoyed going to the gym. So it started way before, you know, you just don't wake up at 56 years old and say, I'm just going to start working out. Well, you can, and that's a good thing. You're never right. too old. Never. Right. But I'm a huge proponent of it for a couple of different reasons. One, when I was on the job, nothing burns stress off better than a good workout. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people would burn stress off in negative ways, you know, drinking too much, you know, just worrying too much, you know, you're going to burn a hole in your stomach. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a lot better off if you just go to the gym, make it a habit. You know, I, every day I'm in, not every, probably five to six days a week I'm in the gym and, That's you great. know, and I'm not there for like five or six hours. I'm there for one to two hours tops. And that's that's my thing. And when I was um, working full time, I would have my gym bag packed. I was working day shift. I'd come home at say five o'clock if I didn't have a bunch of overtime, and my gym bag would be. I would literally be staring at me when I walked up the stairs, and I'm like, "All right, you know." And my wife was very understanding about it, and I said, "You know where I'm going?" She's like, "All right." And yeah. So, at 45 minutes, an hour, I'd I'd squeeze in something. And my off days, I really enjoyed it because I wasn't under any pressure. And since I retired, it's it's fantastic because I always make time for it. You've got to make time for it. Yeah. You know, if if you're not comfortable going into a gym, go for long walks. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Just mm-hmm. start out doing something, but you got to get that blood pumping. You just mm-hmm. feel so much better. Yeah. Your brain gets a lot clearer. You know, you can only sit down and type for so long yeah absolutely and i think i see some parallels there because i mean police officers i know a lot of police officers that still sit around. can you still hear me oh there we go <laughs> oh sorry yeah i can hear you now 
I was going to say, a lot of police officers do sit around a lot. I, I, whether you're sitting in a squad car or sitting at a oh. desk, there's a lot of sitting that goes on, and it's the worst for your body. I, they talk about sitting being, you know, the second worst thing next to like cancer now. Just how much, you know, how much yes. you sit around. Well, so, you know, it's funny you should. It's funny you should say that because a lot of police officers get coronary disease, mm-hmm. and it's not from smoke. You know, when I first started, almost everybody smoked, and then you know. People woke up and well, that's not such a great idea, you know, to be going through a pack of uh, Marlboros a night. You know, just not a good idea at all. So they got a lot smarter that way. But, you know, you might have six hours, seven hours of just boredom followed by five minutes of absolute terror. And you have these adrenaline dumps, mm. you know, like one, two, three times a night. You know, you might go from talking to your partner, you know, drinking a Coke to driving 120 miles an hour down a city street chasing, you know, a bank robber, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah. you go from zero to 100, and that takes its toll over time on your heart. And the way to counteract that is to work out. And yeah. also, it's a physical job. Mm-hmm. You know, every now and then you have to run after people. That's what I hated the most. I hate running. You have to climb but a fence fight, every once in a while. That's oh, I... God, they suck. I hate, you know, you're wearing like 20, 30 pounds of equipment. You're wearing combat boots. You're trying to go over this fence after the 60-year-old kid wearing shorts and a T-shirt. You know, I guess who's going to win that one? Yeah. But we've got radios, so that helps. That helps a lot. You know, you can corner somebody that way. But, you know, and you are going to, sometimes you're going to wind up fighting literally for your life. And I've had to do it. Where somebody literally wants to kill you. And you better be in shape. Or somebody wants to get away. They don't want to go to jail that day. Mm-hmm. So it, the fight's on. And there's no warming up. There's no, and it's like, yeah, okay, you know, you don't get let's take five first. minutes. And, yeah, right, exactly. But that is one of the warning signs when you see, when you're talking to somebody on the street and you don't know it yet, but, you know, they've got two or three good juicy warrants and they're going to be going to jail. I've had guys, like, stretching out. They're doing, like, hurdle, you know, they're grabbing their ankles and they're pulling their legs up, and I'm like, oh, I know what he's doing. And it's like, yeah, this is going to end right now. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And it's like, no, thank you. But, yeah, thank you. But, you know, physical fitness is very important to me, and I've always been that way, and I'm not going to stop. I was in Daytona Beach at a buddy's place maybe about two years ago, and whenever I go on vacation, I find a gym. It's St. Pete's yeah. when I was yeah. down there. I found a gym. And the guy is a ex, um, he's a retired New York cop. So, you know, we bonded immediately, and, you know, it's like, oh, cool, you know, it wasn't super fancy or anything, but it did the trick for me, yeah. and it was a place to go to. You know, every morning I would just go there. But when I went to Daytona Beach, there was a guy in there. He was probably in his late sixties, and he was jacked. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, damn. And he just real quiet, just goes over to the bench. He puts forty fives and twenty fives on each side, and he's just benching away. And I'm thinking to myself, a, you have really good form, and b. You know, this guy is like 15 years older than me, and he's lifting more than a lot of people in here could lift that are in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. And at the same time, there was an exercise class going on for uh, senior citizens, and they're like sitting in chairs just doing like bending exercises and stuff. And there was people in there his age. Right. And there he is just pounding the weights. And I'm like, when I grow up, I want to be you. That's yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm about to turn 40, like in a couple of weeks, and you're my relationship, or my, you're my, uh, you know, workout goals right now. 
um, in terms of like <laughs> your relationship to fitness is like what I would love to, to be at when, when, you know, I'm in my fifties. Gosh, like, I think you're an inspiration there. So, um, well, thank you. And you know what? And I say, you know, people do ask me and I'll always say, it's like, you know what, if running is your thing, go run. If yoga is your thing, go run. If, if weightlifting, if you find this enjoyable, mm-hmm. lift weights, mm-hmm. as long as you're doing something, there's no right or wrong. There's, you know, if you're a super swimmer, you know, you're you're in the pool for an hour doing, you know, a gazillion laps. God bless you. Go go bananas. Knock yourself silly. Yeah, I think there's that's there's another parallel there for writing because there's so many paths for writers, and you have mm-hmm. to find your own. You have, you can't base your writing style on someone else's because it's not going to necessarily work for you. But again, you know, same thing with the fitness lifestyle. You've got to find the one that works for you that you can be consistent at over time, because that's well, that's the, the you, key. Yeah, that's the key. You, I mean, you got to be consistent. You know, in the gym, you know, January rolls around, we call it tour season. You know, you have all these you know new faces in there that buy memberships, and by February they're gone. Yeah. And one of the biggest mistakes is they they chew off more, they bite off more than they can chew. They're lifting more than they should. Their form's horrible. Mm-hmm. You know what? Spend the 50 bucks and get a personal trainer. Yeah. If you don't have a friend that knows what they're doing, because I've helped a lot of people. And it's yeah. like, you yeah. know what? Either have somebody that actually knows what they're doing mm-hmm. or pay somebody. Yeah. You know, and, and they keep you accountable. And once you get that ball rolling, it keeps going. That's, you know, I'm in the 20 books to 50K group. And one of the biggest mantras is, you know what? everybody's got their own way of getting to where they need to go. There is, you have to do this to be a great writer. You have to, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's huge to me. I, th- I think that's really important. Right. Yeah, you've got to find your right uh, path. And you also have to find your right mentors, the people that, you know, you can really connect with and, um, you know, follow, maybe follow some of their path. You definitely get advice from people, but... Um, I think right. the, good, the good mentors are the ones that are going to say, okay, here's what I've learned. Take what you will from it. Take Correct. what you can use. Don't, you don't have to be just like me. You don't have to take this path. Because like, you know, every genre is different. Every writer is different. Like, there's so many Absolutely. variations to this. You know. Well, there's some people that are just morning people. They're up at yeah. 5.30 in the morning, and they're yeah. pounding out the words. Hey, yeah. go, go bananas. At 5.30 in the morning, that ain't me. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of like want stumble around the house and you know start out yeah. slow. And when I was working, I did almost all my writing in the evening. Yeah. You know because I I didn't have a choice, and I was not going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. But some people do. Yeah. You know, and hey, fantastic, good for them. If well, they you, have that kind of discipline, that's huge. Yeah. Well, you and I are sitting around having a drink tonight because this is the only time I get is the night. I'm a night owl anyway. <laughs> But like my kids are up at five thirty in the morning. Like they're up, they're early. They take after their oh. mom. Their mom's a, a morning person, and uh, so this is this is the time I get is this this late late night hour where I get a little bit of quiet and peace and adult conversation. So yes, um, this has been this has been a blast. I really appreciate you being you know first guest back uh, after the long hiatus. That was it is an honor. I must say, yeah. sir, it is yeah. It's been fun. Um, there was a question. Marilyn asks, Patrick, how many books have you written? Uh, the last book was number five that I okay. published. Yeah. The last two were in the Cops and Writers series. The first one is, you know, The Academy to the Street. The second one is Crime Scenes and Investigations. 
and I've written fiction and other uh, nonfiction as well. So will there be more cops and writers books after this? I'm thinking about it. Uh, I wanted to take a break because the last one yeah. almost killed me. I was yeah. just, for whatever reason, you know, I wrote the book. It went to my editor, and I have a fantastic editor, and she is very blunt, and she'll tell you the way it is. And she's also a defense attorney. Oh, wow. And okay. so she's, you know, that's the great thing. If you're going to be writing in a certain genre, if you can find an editor that could see, it's like, what are you doing? No, that that doesn't make sense. I know what you're trying to say, but you're not conveying it properly. Yeah. You know, her form email when she sends back the first draft is, please don't take this personally. <laughs> it always starts out that way. And it's like, all right, I got a thick skin. I can handle it. You Great know? advice from any editor. Yeah. Yeah. And I literally rewrote the book. Yeah. So that took forever. It was like pulling teeth. And yeah, I'm going to take a break from that. But I'm doing courses right now. I'm recording okay. courses. I'm thinking about a podcast, which I'd okay. love to have you as a guest once that gets up and running. Happy to. And yeah, it's, yeah. that's the future is wide open. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Um, where can people stay on top of that? Where can people find more information about you? Where's the best place to connect with you? My Facebook group, I'm in there every day. You know, Cops and Writers. I do have a website, copsandwriters.com. Okay. Uh, if you want to email me directly, it's sarge at copsandwriters.com. So nice. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm pretty yeah. easy to find. Well, that's great. And like I said, I've used... The, the Facebook group several times asking my questions. I'll usually search first. I'll usually use some keyword searches in the group and see if anyone else has already, you know, answered this question before. Um, but then, you know, I'll just dive in and say, I'm not shy about just saying, okay, I've got this character. I need, I'm there in this situation. What's the deal? And the response has always been fantastic. People, you especially are always great at responding, but then also other people usually chime in as well. And uh, I can Thank vouch you. for the fact that it's just yeah, excellent resource that you're providing the community. So good. I'm I'm, I'm glad it's working out. That's good. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, it's very good. But um, yeah, so thank you everyone who has uh, watched tonight and commented, and of course everyone who's uh, going to be listening to the podcast. Uh, thank you for checking us out and uh, saying hi. Uh, feel free to, to tell your friends we're we're back. We're we're back in action. Book Faces Live is uh, going to be back in your ears again on a, on a more regular basis so um once again patrick thank you so much for for being my first guest back and and being here tonight and taking some time out of your day to share share your knowledge and wisdom well it was a lot of fun and thank you nathan i i do appreciate it thank you no problem we'll, we'll talk again soon so uh sounds have good a great, have a great night and uh we'll see you next week <laughs>